What's up guys? Welcome back to the John Summer Challenge. Today is July 22nd and we're in John chapter 13 verses 1 through 38 reading the entire chapter. Now a couple of summers ago I lived in India for three months and I served with the pastor there and his church there and I made some really awesome friends while I was there. And all my friends there were Christians who were so in love with Christ that they just wanted to invite as many people from the outside as they can. They wanted to evangelize and fulfill the Great Commission and share the gospel with them like we should. And I remember when I was there during my first week, one of my friends invited a Hindu girl. It's another religion that believes in a ton of different false gods. She, he invited this girl to church and she didn't believe in God or know God at all, but she was interested. And so she came week after week, started to grow more and more interested in who God was. And then older women from the church started discipling her and studying the Bible with her. And I will never forget one night, I remember we got a text from this girl and she tells us that she started to read first John on her own. She just opened up her Bible that one of the church members gave to her and she just randomly flipped to first John and she started reading and we, we got a text from her and she said she got to first John four. She read the words, God is love. God is love. She stopped reading. She broke down in tears and prayed to God that he would save her and show her his great love. And it was an amazing memory for me because it's an, an amazing testimony of how God's word saves lost souls. And it was the love of God that saved this girl, a girl who was longing for true love and a culture and a religion that offered no true love at all. And coming from a family that never knew or exhibited the love of Christ to her, she longed for this love and she realized that it was only offered through Jesus Christ. And so when she read those words in the Bible, she gave her life to Christ, the only one who could offer her this true, satisfying love. Isn't that an amazing story? And that's a story I always think about as we come to the topic of God's love. And it is, it is who God is. It is God is love. And a pastor named A.W. Pink he wrote this in his book. He said, uh, love, he, love is not merely one of God's attributes, but God's very nature. His very nature. It's who he is. God is love. And as we study our passage today, we will examine the supreme example, the ultimate example of love, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is love. It's his very nature. And he's going to show that to us in our passage today, okay? In three parts, three points for today. Number one, love's humility. Love's humility, verses one through 17. Now you could say Christ's humility, but Christ is love, so we're saying love's humility. Now in John chapter 13, all the way through chapter 17, Jesus transitions from his public ministry to his private ministry, where he will focus his attention on his disciples and prepare them for his coming death. Now they're not ready for this and he needs to prepare them. And you'll see even through Peter's uh, conversation with Jesus, he's not ready to see Jesus go. And he doesn't really 
understand why Jesus is leaving and where he's going and what he's going to do. And so Jesus needs to prepare his disciples. And the common theme of these chapters is Christ's love for his own. And we see the first expression of that love in our passage today. Look at verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's sweet. Now we've read over and over again, uh, they didn't kill him or they weren't able to kill him because his hour had not yet come. But now it says, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Here we are in chapter 13, and this is the Last Supper, where Jesus, with his disciples, would use the elements of the Passover meal to form a transition from the Old Covenant Passover to the New Covenant Lord's Supper. From this point on, People would not celebrate the lamb's blood that they would put on the doorpost when God delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt. Now, people would remember and celebrate the blood of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And this is what believers remember when we partake in communion on Sunday mornings. Maybe you see this on Sunday mornings, believers in Christ, they take the bread and the cup and this comes from 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26, talking about this new uh, way of doing things. The Lord's Supper says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord, Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is during the Last Supper that we read of Christ's incredible example of love. The fact that he loves his own with the fullest measure of love possible. He even shows this love to the one who would betray him. How does he show this love? He washes his disciples' feet. The God of the universe, the creator of the world, the King of kings, Jesus, truly God, is the ultimate example of humility as he gets down and begins to wash his disciples' dirty, stinky, dirty, dirty, dirty feet. They're very dirty. Now, D.A. Carson says this. He's an author, and I like what he says. He says, with such power and status at his disposal, Jesus, we might have expected him to defeat the devil in an immediate and flashy confrontation and to devastate Judas with an unstoppable blast of divine wrath. Instead, he washes his disciples' feet, including the feet of the betrayer. The disciples' feet were only protected by their sandals, and so walking through the dirt streets of Jerusalem, their feet were surely dirty, really dirty. And the disciples knew that it was extremely offensive to be reclining at this long meal with their feet as dirty as they were. Someone needed to step up and volunteer to wash their feet or else 
It was so rude. It was so offensive during this dinner, but nobody would do so. Why? Because as we learned earlier, to wash somebody's feet was incredibly degrading. It was a job only meant for slaves. It would take extreme humility for one of these disciples to take the initiative to wash everyone's feet. And in this moment, these disciples are showing the complete opposite of humility. What are they doing? Well, we read in Luke 22, verse 24, it says, And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. Incredible. These disciples, they're sitting around the table fighting and arguing over who is the greatest disciple. No, I'm greater. No, I'm greater because of this. Just the complete opposite of humility. This is pride. These disciples are arguing over who is the greatest among them, absolutely filled with pride. And you can imagine the embarrassment and the awkward silence that would occur as they are engaging in this prideful debate. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets up from the dinner and gets a towel, pours some water in a basin, and begins to wash their dirty feet. Well, this is no surprise to us, isn't it? Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then a classic Peter tries to tell Jesus what to do, maybe with the right motive, but you just don't tell Jesus what to do. And he just does not understand what Jesus is doing. He says in verse 8, Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him patiently. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus' words were meant as a common biblical metaphor to Peter and to us. Washing is a common metaphor for spiritual cleansing, isn't it? Something we all need to be cleansed from our sins. And so Jesus' metaphor was not only a great act of humility and love, but also a reminder of our great need to be cleansed from our sins, something that can only be done through faith in Christ and repentance of our sins. Those who believe in Christ are totally, fully, completely cleansed by Him, never needing to be cleansed again, once and for all, totally and fully cleansed by Christ. That's why we sing, What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is only his death, the death of the perfect God-man on our behalf that can cleanse us of our sins. But the main critical lesson taught by Jesus here was that the disciples needed to learn humble service. Humble service. It says in verses 12 through 16, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. As they bickered away about who was the greatest among them, 
they needed to see the Lord of glory willingly humble himself and take on this role of slave. Complete humility from Jesus Christ. This is a humble love. And if Christ would do this, how much more so should we, followers of Christ, how much more so should we do the same? This is love's humility. Love's humility. And now, sadly, the next thing we see is number two, love's betrayer. Love's betrayer in verses 18 through 30. Maybe when you think of a traitor, you think of this like I do. She froze my heart and only an act of true love can save me. A true love's kiss. If only there was someone out there who loved you. What? What a traitor. But here in our passage, we see an even worse traitor. The most notorious traitor known in all of human history. One of Jesus's own disciples, Judas. Judas. After more than three years of living with Jesus, Judas would betray him to his death. But Jesus was not surprised by this or unaware. And I like how one author explained, he said, quote, he was not the deceived and helpless victim of the unsuspected treachery, but one sent by God to effect God's purpose, going forward calmly and unafraid to do what God had planned for him to do. End quote. I love how he said that. Jesus is not the deceived and helpless victim of unsuspected treachery. He knows what's going on. In fact, he has always known this. He has predestined and he has decreed all things from eternity past. This is all according to God's eternal perfect plan. So he's not thrown off by this. But even though Jesus knew what Judas was going to do from eternity past, he was still troubled over this betrayal. Look at verse 21. It says, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in his spirit in spirit, and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Again, this word troubled, we've seen it before. It is a mental turmoil, a great agony that the Lord feels over this betrayal. What troubled Jesus? Jesus' love for Judas. Judas's ingratitude for all the kindness Jesus showed him. The presence of Satan in Judas, knowing that Judas would end up in hell. All of this troubled Jesus. But also, knowing that this betrayal would lead him to the cross where he would take on God's wrath and be separated from his father. This is what agonizes Jesus, knowing that his hour has come, that the time has come for him to go on the cross and to pay for the penalty of sin, that sin that he did not even commit. Now, Judas is the sad example of one whose heart is so hardened that even after living with Jesus for three years, he did not believe in him. He hated Jesus, loved his sin, and was willing to put Jesus to death 
for his sin. But God would use Judas's betrayal for his own glory. Of course he will, as he does with all things. And we see this with point number three, love's sacrifice. Love's sacrifice in verses 31 through 38. Now starting here in John chapter 13, verse 31, and then all the way until the end of John chapter 16, Jesus will give his 11 disciples, not including Judas anymore, a farewell address. Now this would be a final charge for them to carry on the work, for them to trust his promises, for them to heed his warnings and obey his commandments. And in this opening section of his address, Jesus teaches his disciples and you and I today, the supreme mark of every true follower of Christ. What is it? Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Look at verse 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. This commandment to love God and others was not anything new, but it was new in, a, in the sense that Jesus was presenting a higher standard of love. And that standard is to love like the Lord Jesus Christ would love. And we are able to love like this because of what Romans 5, 5 says. It says, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And Ephesians 5, 2 says, And we walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is how all men will know that you are truly Jesus' disciples if you love one another. How are you in this area? How, how do you do with sacrificial love? It takes sacrifice. It's not easy. And how, how do you do? How do you show sacrificial love to your parents, to your siblings, to your friends, to those in the church, to those whom you're not even super familiar with, to strangers? How do you show sacrificial love to put the desires and needs of others above your own, to serve and to love others, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard? For those who truly believe, it is the sacrificial love of Christ that is our ultimate example, isn't it? As we'll read in John 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Who has done that for us? Jesus Christ, hasn't he? There is no greater act of sacrificial love than what the King of love has done for us. Dying for sins he did not commit, so that those who rejected him through faith and repentance might be reconciled to him and showered with his amazing, unending love. Does your soul long for love like this? Love that never fails? Love that truly satisfies? This world may offer you love in all kinds of ways, through temptations or through people or relationships or any way that this world offers you love, it will always leave you feeling unsatisfied. It will always 
fail you. It will never be the perfect love that Jesus offers. Not the way that Jesus loves his own. For those who have never experienced the love of Christ, would you decide today to devote your life to him, to put all your trust in Jesus, to give up and turn away from your sins, and then you will be overwhelmed, filled to the brim with the never-ending love of Jesus. For those of you who already have decided to follow Jesus, would you remember the love of Jesus? Praise the Lord for all the love that he has already showered upon us in our lives. And rest assured that no matter what trials come, no matter what temptations we might be put through, in this fallen world, there is the love of Jesus for us. A vast ocean of his love that awaits us fresh each and every morning. Would you run and soak in his amazing, overwhelming, unending love? The humble, sacrificial love of Christ is what we cling to. And so we praise him for his great love. As the hymn writer wrote, I love this. He says, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never, nevermore. How he watches o'er his loved ones, die to call them all his own. How for them he intercedeth, watcheth over them from, from the throne. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Love of every, love the best. Tis an ocean full of blessing. Tis a haven giving rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. Isn't that sweet? Have you tasted and seen the love of Jesus in your own life? If not, will you run to him? And if you have, will you never stop remembering the love of God? And let that drive us as we press on and as we wait for that glorious day where either the Lord will take us home or we will be snatched up with him, won't that be a great day? And then we will be face to face with the King of love. That's it for today's devotional. I've got three questions for you. Number one, in what ways do you struggle with pride? What ways do you struggle with pride? We saw the disciples struggling with pride themselves, right? Until they were confronted with Christ's humble love. How do you struggle with pride? Number two, starting today, how will you seek to grow in humility? Think practical ways. How will you seek, starting today, to grow in humility? And then number three, how can you show sacrificial love to those in your life? It won't be easy, right? That's the whole point. It's a sacrificial love. You've got to sacrifice something. But decide, how are you gonna to start today to show sacrificial love to others in your life. Submit your answers to those questions 
and you will be done with day 22 of the John Summer Challenge. I'll see you tomorrow for day 23.